Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And joining me is my co-host for nearly three years now, a veteran sports writer, former sports radio host, and lifelong H-Town sports junkie, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, we took a few days off for the holidays, just like the Astros hitters did, I think. <laughs> no, I think they took more than a few days, Robert. I think they took over a week. And you said three years? That's that's longer than Jeremy Pena has been in the major leagues. But boy, <laughs> what an impact he's been making so far, huh? Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm going to get to him in just a bit. But uh, And I think you messed up his name. It's Jeremy Correa, I, I believe. Oh, it's Jeremy Correa. Yeah, Carlos who? I, his first name is Jeremy now. That's right. so uh i'm gonna get to the astros a little bit more in a second but just a reminder for everybody listening to the podcast you can now actually see us on youtube i don't know if steven's all excited about that yeah yeah i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing robert but it's okay we'll we'll do that if you're wondering how we look when we're recording the painful truth is now available the youtube username is just my name robert land you can find the link on twitter if you have trouble some very boring people, Stephen, stole Houston Sports Talk on YouTube long ago, so I, I couldn't use that one. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I'm working hard on the YouTube channel, though, and I've started posting some of our best clips from nine years. So you'll regularly get short clips of not just Houston Sports Talk history, but really Houston sports history. I've created playlists for the different teams. So there's an Astros playlist along with Rockets, Oilers, Texans, or Cougars. You'll also find a main Houston sports talk playlist where I'll put up all new clips, both the new podcast and every clip that I'm putting up daily. But my favorite feed, Stephen, is called Houston sports talk memories. I'm putting all the podcast or short clips with player interviews or Houston sports history in that feed. That is awesome, Robert. And yeah, you, you have been working very hard on that the last few weeks. I mean, there, there really isn't any aspect of Houston sports that you haven't covered in the nine years. So that's impressive. And I just want to commend you on that. You've got hours and hours of listening time and watching time. So yeah, check it out. Definitely. It is worth a listen and a look. The other thing I'm going to mention to people is in the Rockets playlist. I put up my favorite features from when I was the Rockets videographer and editor back in the early 2000s. It was a brief time. Wow. But if you've never seen them, it's been up on my page, but a lot of people might not know about it. There's an Akeem Olajuwon career tribute, uh, Rudy T screwing around at his old ice cream shop. That's a great <laughs> feature. I know Steven would enjoy the piece on Gene Peterson and Jim Foley. Yeah. And then there's Moochie Norris getting his haircut and Walt Williams in his music studio. It's fun stuff. I also put up a Warren Moon and an Ernest Givens piece that I unearthed on my VCR from more than three decades ago. The source of the features uh, might not appreciate it, but I don't see it out on YouTube anywhere. A lot of their old stuff isn't out on YouTube. It's the NFL film stuff. So look for those two in the Oilers playlist, Stephen. So lots of good stuff. I know. I mean, it's going to take me a while to go through this, Robert, but I intend to because, as you said, there's a lot of great content on there. So check it out. By the way, uh, Stephen, we we couldn't get him like the fancy set, but I'm I'm kind of working on things here, and you know I've had some stuff in the background before, but uh, Stephen might not know this, but I've got now a right behind me. I've got like an old Astros pennant from when I was a kid. This little bitty pennant that I got. Uh, I can't remember what year it was, but let's just I'll say the '80s to be. It was safe. before they won a real pennant, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's exactly right and then also I've, i'm wearing today 
uh, and I've had it, you know, behind me a lot of a lot of the shows. But I'm wearing an Astros cap that was a self-made cap because I, I was telling Stephen I ironed on an Astros an old Astros iron on, I should say, that I got at a game way back when I had it somehow I had kept it. It was in my mom's, you know, house and I found it and I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then I thought, hmm. you know what, I'll, I'll just uh, go get me a baseball cap and iron it on there and it works pretty well. Pretty genius. Just a little bit of the background for stuff. Now we talk about that Astros playlist, even maybe listening to the Astros playlist would be a great palate cleanser after watching the Astros most of the first two weeks of the season. But another palate cleanser is, like you said, when Correa, oh, I'm sorry, Jeremy Pena, <laughs> it's a Sunday walk-off. Where do you want to start with the Astros? Well, I'll tell you what, Robert, and, and this may sound, you, you may not believe me when I say this, but when Jeremy came to the plate in the 10th inning of Sunday's game, it did flash through my mind. I thought, man, wouldn't it be cool if he just hit a home run right here and, and got his career really jump-started, just like Carlos Correa used to do. And by golly, he did. Now, you know, it, it's still early in the season, Robert, and we know that there are going to be ups and downs. Jeremy hasn't played a 162-game major league season. There's going to be some ups and downs, just like with the Astros offense. But here's the thing. You know, Carlos Correa isn't exactly setting the world on fire in Minnesota right now. I think coming into Sunday's game, he had a homer, three RBIs, and it wasn't doing this. And, the Astros offense, they went through these troubled times even when Carlos Correa was here. So I don't think this is the time to panic, certainly. You know, one thing that I will say that, you know, just in looking over the first 16 games of the season is the Astros definitely need to get off to better starts in games. You know, in the seventh inning, here, here's I know you're a numbers guy, Robert, so you'll appreciate this. They're hitting over 300 in the seventh inning. And then there are six other innings where they're hitting 180. So clearly they need to get off to better starts. And, you know, they did today. They did on Sunday. We're recording this on Sunday after the last game of the Toronto series. You know, but but for the most part, they've just got to do a better job of jumpstarting getting out of the gate. Yeah, the problems, Kyle Tucker's had some awful luck. Jordan might be just exhausted from being a new father. I'll throw that out there. But the guy I worry about a little bit, Yuli, maybe – I mean, I worry about is Yuli. Hopefully this good Sunday gets him going. He's 37 years old, though, Stephen. You wonder when Father Time gets him. He's also looked awful in the field. It's been bizarre. Yeah, and, and I guess I, I wish I could say I was really surprised, Robert. I mean, he had that great year last year. But as you said, he's 37, and, and I just know, you know, he is on the backside of things. But, yeah, when you have Gurriel hitting below 200, you have Kyle Tucker hitting below 200. Jordan hitting below 200. He had those couple home runs when he came back from the illness, but hasn't had a hit since then. Altuve was struggling before he got hurt. So, you know, those are a lot of the main reasons that the Astros are struggling offensively. It's not simply just because Carlos Correa is not here anymore. And I can hear people, you know, rumbling and bumbling about that. But with what Jeremy Pena has been doing, you certainly can't throw that on, on that situation. They just, a lot of the main hitters just aren't hitting right now. As far as the pitching, bullpen's been good. The the starters, it's been a hit and miss. And I got to get a quick thought on this Odorizzi, Odorizzi mess. And everybody loves to blame Dusty for strange decisions. But, Stephen, Odorizzi, it's an organizational decision and an organizational 
failure. It's one thing to have made a mistake signing somebody to a bad contract, but it's another to throw him into the two spot in the rotation after you do that. The fan base, Stephen, didn't second guess this decision. They first guessed it. And I'm dumbfounded. Yeah, I was dumbfounded too. And and here's the thing about Odorizzi. Now, James Click, I think for the most part, has made some great moves. But all GMs are going to screw up. And listen, let's be honest. Until Jake Odorizzi starts showing otherwise, the Jake Odorizzi signing was not a good deal. You know, the guy's never been a great pitcher. He's been average at best and consistent, (laughs) consistently inconsistent at worst. And, you know, they still have not taken him out of the rotation. Now, what they have done is they have inserted Christian Javier into the rotation to go with a six-man crew because they're going to be playing, what, 31 games in 32 days. But as yet, they have not removed Odorizzi from the rotation. And it just makes me wonder, you know, when is that going to have to happen? Because the guy's just not been effective. And, you know, he had the same struggles last year. He's just not throwing strikes. I know that's a simple way to say it, but it's just the truth. He may be barely missing and things like that, but barely missing is still missing. And he just doesn't have the control and the command that you need to get the job done. And then that's just what's been really disturbing. But I think you're right, Robert. It is an organizational thing. And the, the Odorizzi signing, you know, whether it was done out of desperation because of the way the pitching staff, what it was in last year or what have you. But it just wasn't a good move by Click, it, it, just as we look back on it. I think I just heard you say that. Christian Javier is finally getting out of the K.J. Martin jail. I call it K.J. Martin jail now. Yeah, yeah, out of K.J. Martin jail. Well, you know, they stretched him out a little bit on this homestand, and that was their intention. So he is going into the starting rotation. So we'll see what happens. And maybe if he's effective enough, you know, once we get through this 31 games and 32 days kind of thing where they might have a a few more off days, and Jake Odorizzi continues to be ineffective, maybe that's when they will make the change, that Odorizzi will go out, go to the bullpen, and Christian Javier will be in the starting rotation like they say they've been wanting him to be for quite some time now. Yeah, I mean, it's about time. And you talk about Click and the Odorizzi situation, and it's same with the Pedro Baez situation. Right, right. It's, it's like he's waiting for some Hanukkah miracle where – you know, I'm Jewish, so I'm going to just throw this the Hanukkah reference out here. But, the, you know, you, the, you got enough oil that you only think it's going to last for one night and it lasts for eight nights because that's the kind of miracle we're talking about. And you mm-hmm. look at Baez, Stephen, and there's nothing in that that gives you hope. We're all just waiting for him to be released. Pull the plug, James. It's over. Yeah, and I think that will come. That, that will probably come sooner than Odorizzi. I mean, you know, he's getting paid a good amount, so it, it may take a little longer for him. But the Pedro Bias situation clearly has not worked out. And, you know, with injuries, you never know. I might give him a little, maybe not a, certainly not a full pass, but maybe a bit of a pass on that. But the Jake Odorizzi thing, I mean, I, I kind of scratched my head with that, Robert. I, I just didn't see it happening you know, on the, in a good way for the Astros. Before we go too hard at click, I saw some ridiculousness where people feel like he's just this total failure now, Stephen. And you and I talked about this offline. And I just want to tell everybody out there, don't be stupid. Don't cherry pick your facts on this. Click didn't ride to the World Series last year on Luno's coattails. Yes, he built the foundation. Yes, Luno did. But Click grabbed Rafael Montero, who looks awesome, by the way, should yeah, we mention yeah. that, and Kendall Graveman, who had a playoff ERA of 164 for the very dispensable Abraham Toro. He got Phil Maton and his playoff ERA of 0.73, still looking good this year, for mm-hmm. Miles Straw. 
He signed Jose Siri and Ryan Stanek, who posted a playoff whip under one. Both of those guys off the scrap heap. He signed Jason Castro, whose playoff OPS was, what, 1158 or something like that. And one more thing. They just went to the dang World Series with Click as the GM the last few years. And if McCullers and Bregman are healthy, Stephen, you and I know this, they probably win that whole thing. That's that, that that's that's all you're asking for from the GM, I thought. Yeah, no, look, I, I'm not I, I can not gonna take pot shots at Click. I mean, GMs are gonna make mistakes. And as you said, the Pedro Baez and Jake Odorizzi, they were mistakes, but that's it. And look, the guy has only been here, what, two and a half years? I mean, come on, we've had COVID that has interrupted everybody's rhythm. And even in that terrible season when they went 29 and 31, they still got to the ALCS, despite all the COVID things going on. And yeah, you can sit there and say, well, it's because they expanded the playoff, you know, the the number of teams that make the playoffs. Okay, but you got to get there. And once you're there, you got to do something with it. So James Click, I, I think all in all, has done a really good job. I mean, he was in Tampa Bay, and they were successful for a reason. And he's applying the same techniques with the Astros. Look, some some moves he's going to miss on, but what GM doesn't? I mean, gosh, Jerry Hunsicker didn't get everything right. And, you know, I know it sounds funny when I say Jeff Luno didn't get everything right, especially the way it ultimately ended for him. But I'm talking about from a player personnel standpoint. Jeff Leno didn't get everything right either. Brady so, Aiken, I mean, yeah, we Brady start. Aiken, yeah, we can start <laughs> from there and go and go from there. But James Click is is doing, I think, a splendid job. He's doing it the same way, you know, and with the Astros not signing long-term free agent contracts, that was before you you can't blame James Click for that because that was happening long before he arrived. So, no, I I'm not going to take pot shots at Click from an overall standpoint. I think he's doing a good job. Yeah, and he panicked a little bit with the Odorizzi thing. I mean, that weird Frommer injury that, I mean, just was the most bizarre thing. And I came out of nowhere, and then he's maybe he's out for the season. And then, oh, he's only out for a few weeks. And, you know, there yeah. was that moment where they had to figure out what to do, and it just didn't work out. And, you know, it turns out his two moves that are the problems are the more expensive moves, but they're not, you know, it's not signing Kelvin Cato. Like, that's a rock, Rockets <laughs> yeah. reference from 20 yeah. years ago. That was a disaster. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I don't know. Hey, we also, in the last couple of weeks, we, we probably hit the first moment where we miss Brent Strom. I mean, can we say that Fromber can't find the plate this year? Steven feels like a case for Dr. Strom. Yeah. You know, you're going to miss Brent Strom. And I know he set up uh, the two, I guess, co-pitching coaches, you know, to do a good job, but let's face it. There aren't very many Brent Stroms out there. Well, there's only one Brent Strom and he's in Arizona now. And, uh, yeah, he had the Diamondbacks pitching pretty darn good in that series, the brief two-game series he had with the Astros. Yeah, Fromber, I, I just I keep, I, I keep waiting for him. You know, that, that year and a couple of years ago when he did so well, I thought, okay, maybe this guy is finally figuring it out. And, yeah, he had that freak injury last year. And then this year he teases you with a great opening day start. And now he's back to being the old Fromber, the one that we don't want to see. So, it's obviously psychological with him, Robert. And I he just, some pitchers are just, how do you put this? Psychologically delicate? Is, is that a good word to describe it? Because I don't know what else to say about Frommer. Because as far as we know, it's nothing physical. Just so much of it is in his head that it, it, that's what's affecting him on the mound right now. Back to his old doctor. We know he saw a doctor that really helped him with the right. psychological part. So hopefully that works out. 
Uh, seems like the world was caving in for Astros Nation, but there are plenty of huge positives. Steven, the first couple of weeks, Verlander and Bregman look as good as new. We thought maybe the car was totaled, but the mechanic performed a minor miracle on Verlander. So, and so far, so good on Bregman as well. And Steven, McCormick and Siri, it's my new favorite center field restaurant. McCormick and Siri. McCormick and Siri, I, I kind of like that. And, you know, you can make all the Siri jokes and references too. That's kind of fun to do. Uh, you know, yeah. I think I saw a tweet. I forgot who it came from, you know, saying, uh, Siri, how do you uh, catch a ball over the center field wall or something like that? You know, referring to a great play that Jose Siri made. So, yeah, the center field tandem, I mean, when Jake Myers comes back, it's going to be a good problem to have if those guys continue to keep playing. And Chaz McCormick, you know, he he's getting some wood on the ball. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's just too early to get too upset about what the Astros have done thus far. And Verlander, is it really any surprise? I mean, the way the guy, the, as hard as he works, as much as he trains to get himself back. As far as Bregman, I really felt Bregman was going to be the comeback player for the Astros this year, just like Jose Altuve sort of was last year, you know, especially on the defensive standpoint. I really believed Alex Bregman would come back stronger and healthier this year. And so far, at least, he's been doing that. Did I miss any other positives or is there anything else that we, we haven't mentioned on the, on the positive ledger? Well, you did mention Montero and I got to say, you know, it's a big surprise for me because last year, you know, when they got him, he was injured for the most part. He didn't, and when he did pitch, he was not really that effective, but then came back. But yeah, this year, I, I think Rafael Montero is, as you mentioned, another uh, thing in that trade last year that uh, James Click had. So I, I think the bullpen overall is doing great. The starters, I, I think they will round themselves out. It just, you know, Jake Odorizzi is the one that you just don't have much confidence in. You know, Jose Urquidy hasn't exactly been up to par. Ryan Presley, you know, you're hoping he's going to come back soon. But really, the back end of the bullpen has been holding steady with him being out. Montero was actually, I think he was pretty good before he got hurt. And I was excited about him before he got he, hurt. It was brief. I think it, uh, he may have been. I know there was one stretch where he wasn't too effective, but you know, most of the time he was injured. Then he came back and did pitch pretty well. And he certainly is doing well this season so far. He makes it look so easy too. I mean, it's just like him watching him throw out there. It's like in a rocking chair. And so that <laughs> that's good. And uh, boy, I mean, if you get, you know, him doing what he's doing and you throw it in with some of these other guys, I, I think the bullpen's going to be fine. And Presley, it's just good news that, that he's going to be coming back st- soon. And Steven, I had this thought with the Altuve injury because we haven't really got into that yet. And I'm not, well, I'm sort of surprised the Astros haven't tried this. So over the last year, they've had Pedro Leon playing shortstop in Sugarland. Right. Jeremy Pena, right. obviously the future at shortstop, Stephen. Can we say that right now? Yeah, <laughs> I think we the future is now, <laughs> for sure. And I like the idea of making Pedro Leon versatile. Uh, the idea of putting him at short was it's kind of a cool idea if, if, if he can do it, but I'm not sure why he hasn't played second base too. And let me get to that point here because in three of the first four games this year, he played it short since then it's just, it's just been the outfield. So they, they see the writing on the wall. It seems like when you look at what's going on, but the Astros have an aging Altuve who might start breaking down and it looks like he just did Aledmus Diaz in the last year of his contract. He's almost the Astros ninth starting position player if you think about it because they have them always subbing at five different positions so it's really like he's always playing anyway 
it's not like Altuve goes down and you just leave Aledbus at second base, Stephen. So you could use Pena as somebody who would be a versatile reserve that could handle second base along with short and outfield if you brought him up and maybe he has potential to play there if the Astros don't sign Altuve in a couple of years. Remember, and I know everybody wants to forget about this, but Altuve will be 35 when his contract ends at the end of 2024. Well, it's hard to argue with, Robert, and, and not just from the Altuve standpoint, but if there's one thing the Astros do lack right now, it's infield depth. You know, Aledmus Diaz, he's been playing well this season, but to expect him to go a full 162 games without getting hurt, that's a stretch. He, he's just not as durable as you would like him to be. And the guys that you've, you know, tried out, in, in, you know, as far as backing everybody else up, Nico Goodrum, you know, yes. he, you know, come on, Nico Goodrum is not going to be your your answer at all. You know, they they had a guy that was in uh, spring training, Franklin Barreto, I think, and he's playing in Sugarland right now. But you don't really know what to expect from him. So someone like Leon, you know, maybe even uh, JJ Metajevic, who they just brought up, we we don't really know too much about him as far as how well he would do. But he might be another guy that you could float around second base, even third base. I mean, think about it. You know, what if Bregman goes down? What if Diaz is down? You don't have anyone really playing second base, third base, first base. You know, Gurriel's 37. You got to think about first base, too, coming up. I mean, I would have said Leon at first base, but I think as you pointed out to me, Robert, when we were talking off air about this the other day, he is a little bit short, so, you know, he may not be great for that position. But, yeah, it's clear. Altuve is starting to slow down. I think we've seen it, in, you know, the last couple of years with the hitting at least he got his defense back last year. That was a big, big worry spot. So, yeah, we've got to do something to shore up the Astros' infield depth, whether it's get something at the trade deadline, maybe someone from the waiver wire that gets waived at some point in the season, maybe somebody in Sugarland that comes up and, and makes some waves that we're not expecting, like Jake Myers did in center field last year. Something needs to be done because there just isn't enough depth in the Astros' infield. And if one guy goes down, which Altuve did, well, yeah, you've got Diaz to fill in, but what if he goes down? You don't have anybody else, really. Yeah, you mentioned Metajevic. They just brought him up. He's a veteran rookie. I mean, he's older guy, 26, 27, but I looked at his minor league numbers, Stephen, and they're they're pretty good. I mean, he's, They are it, good, yeah. OPS is over 800. I mean, I, I, I don't know what's held him back. Maybe he just doesn't have that elite skill, that, you know, something that really sticks out, and he's they, they, they moved him around a different position. So, you know, I don't know, but you know, the numbers aren't bad. No, they're not bad. And of course, you know, you talk about older rookies. Well, Jose Siri certainly wasn't a, a very young rookie uh, that the Astros signed him. So it, it can happen, but mm -hmm. he clearly, you know, whether it's him or Leon, I mean, I think, you know, Leon, the fact that he can play the outfield and when Jake Myers comes back, that's going to solve a lot of the Astros outfield problems. And, you know, now that McCormick and Siri are doing so well. So maybe they do need to concentrate Leon at, you know, the different infield positions. If they need to rest Pena, let's say they bring him up at some point, and I think they will sooner rather than later. He's been hitting pretty well in Sugarland. So if something does happen and another player goes down, you might see Leon up pretty soon, and he could play some parts of the infield. Yeah, he's he's. it's been okay. I looked at his numbers, like, uh, right before the game on Sunday, and they're, they're okay. They're not anything spectacular but he was looking good towards the end of last year and it's early so i i, I, I want to go to one last thing Stephen, on the astros and and one reason i believe 
that the Astros decided signing or not to sign Carlos Correa is that one year, $35 million deal that they figured Pena could give them close to that production, which, you know, they look like they're right so far, but it also allowed James Click to make a deadline deal for a high price starting pitcher. Is that something that you agree with? Is it, you know, is that something that you think was in their thinking with all this? Well, yeah, I think it, it certainly is something to consider, especially if the pitching continues to falter. You know, let's say that Odorizzi continues to struggle, Christian Javier doesn't, you know, do what they hope he will do in the starting rotation. I don't think it's inconceivable that, you know, they could grab another starting pitcher. And Lance McCullers, you know, they're targeting him for June, but who knows what's going to happen when and if he does come back. So if that's the case, Robert, I'd have to say that once again, James Click is being very shrewd, and the Astros were obviously confident enough in Pena, you know, and we didn't think that they knew what they were talking about. But clearly, at this early sample, they did. And so they may have done it for that very reason, along with the fact that they just didn't want to deal another year with Carlos Correa and then have him walk again next year, that they felt Pena was ready enough to put him in there now. And then that will set things up for future moves, yes. Yeah, so, you know, we talked about it before, so I, it's enough about that. I just, I'm setting it, setting it up because I, I nosed around for potential tra- deadline trades just for the hell of it. One name that struck me is Marcus Stroman. The Cubs just signed him. It's only a three-year deal. He's making 25 this year and next. 21 in his final year. Cubs are no guarantee to compete. Cardinals and Brewers off to quick starts. Stroman's off to a bad start, so we'll see how that goes. The Phillies off to a slow start in that division. Zach Wheeler averages $24 million over the next three years. That's another guy that just got signed. The NL West will be a dogfight with the Giants, Dodgers, and Padres. So I could see either the Giants or Padres in sailboat if things don't go well. And at the moment, they've all jumped out to a hot start. But what if the Giants go in the tank? Carlos Radon, uh, we know about him. He's on a two-year deal making about 21 each of the next two years. The Red Sox are going to be in a dogfight in the AL East. I mean, just it's loaded. The Blue Jays, we just saw them. We know what the Yankees usually do. Alvin's own Nathan Uvalde is in the last year of his deal and makes $17 million. How about our old friend Dallas Keuchel? Yeah, he was bad last year. Gotten off to a terrible start. But if he gets back together, he, you know, Astros know him. And uh, hey, why not? White Sox aren't good. He's making right now. They're not good. He's making 18 this year, 20 next year. And if the Angels do their usual slide, you got Noah Syndergaard, who's only a one-year deal. So, you know, he, he's going to be a free agent. This year. I mean, there's just uh, there's options there, Steve, is what, what I'm saying. Well, there certainly are. I mean, there are every season. But, yeah, so far this season, a lot of those names you mentioned, you know, some of them could be. I know Zach Wheeler was a guy that they were looking at a couple of years ago. Uh, Marcus Stroman, I think we, we even went over that during the offseason. We were talking about free agent pitchers and who they might get. We we didn't see that they were going to make a real big splash then. But, you know, as you get later into the campaign and the trade deadline comes up, some of these names that are going to pop up are, are not that inconceivable. So, again, if, if the pitching continues to struggle, if the starting pitching really starts struggling, it's not inconceivable. You could see, you know, maybe, I don't know, any one of those pitchers, Robert, they, they have question marks, but any one of them you could see in an Astros uniform if the chips fall right. Yeah, I don't know how excited I am about any of them at this very second, but as the year goes, you just don't know what's going to happen. So keep that in the back of your mind. They could also go after bullpen guys with that money. They could go after hitters if they need it. The center field, look, you know, that looks good 
to this point, but you never know what's going to happen with injuries or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're talking about the present. I understand, Stephen, you're going to bring back this week in Astros history. But before I throw that to you, uh, I, I just got to say, in a few years, this week in Astros history might be the debut of the Space City uniforms because there's a lot of buzz <laughs> about that. Yes, and, there are. And, and Stephen, I'm going to speak to our audience on this because fashion, that's my expertise, of course. And mm-hmm. I, I love the caps, love the jerseys, don't like the uniforms, just not a fan of the shirt and pants looking exactly the same. It's that jogging suit fashion that nobody, uh, I think, is running out to get the jogging suit fashion. It's bad fashion. And I hate on Thursday night, you know, NFL uniforms, especially the Texans, the steel blue and the Liberty white and the ketchup bottle red are all disgusting. I'm consistent on this uh diatribe over so hit us up with some astros history well let me just make a brief comment robert i i don't know if it sometimes i wonder if teams just try too hard to be fashion flashy with these uniforms because it, it just seems that the more new uniforms they come up with the the more just out of place they seem and i don't know if it's just because you and i are old-fashioned fans and we know what we like and i i don't know but yeah, the, I've heard a lot of talk about the Space City uniform thing with the Astros and the shirt was, as you said, it was one of some of the biggest comments I've seen is that they don't like the shirts. So, yeah, I don't know what it is about these uniforms that they think that they're going for something and that they're just very hit and miss. But anyway, before I get to this week in Astros history, because it does involve one Jeff Bagwell, I do want to make a point that he has been making appearances and will make some appearances on radio and TV broadcasts again this season. Yes. In fact, he joined Robert Ford on the, the Astros radio broadcast during the Toronto series. And I know you mentioned, I didn't get to see this because I don't get their games here in Austin, but uh, Craig Biggio joined the TV crew. And you know what, Bag and Biggio, they were great players. Hearing them speak, you know, they, they obviously know a lot about the game. You know, certainly Bagwell has some great angles on the radio broadcast. I don't think you're going to see them in the booth as full-time broadcasters though, Robert, would you agree? Well, I mean, Bagwell, he shows a little bit of potential. The problem is, you know, he he can be dry, a little dry as milk toast. But the one thing I will say is uh, he finds some other angles sometimes. I think though, uh, he he seems better when you have him in these short spurts, like one-offs and things like that. That's what I meant. You're not going to see him in a full-time role, but just having him there. I mean, hey, he's Jeff Bagwell. You'd like to see him every once in a while. Same with Craig Biggio. I mean, Craig, I think, is even more dry than Jeff. I, I would agree with you on that <laughs> in what you've told me. But just the fact that they're there, they're former Astros. You want to see their faces. You, you want to see them around. So I think it's a great idea that they're bringing in for these guest appearances. I, I don't see anything wrong with that. So with that, this week in Astros history, we have... April 21st, 1999, Jeff Bagwell hit three home runs, drove in six runs as the Astros beat the Cubs 10 to three at Wrigley Field. Now, what's interesting about that is that on that day, Bagwell passed Jim Wynn for the most home runs in franchise history. 224 is what Bagwell got that day when he hit those three home runs. So, He passed another Astros legend, Jimmy Wynn, 
on this day, April 12th, on April 21st, this week in 1999. And you mentioned Jimmy Wynn, and I'll point out on the YouTube channel, you know, you and I, we did a tribute to Jimmy Wynn. Yes, with, we did. Uh, I think it was with Greg Lucas, right? Right, yeah, I believe yeah, so. It, mm-hmm. it was uh, right after he passed away, and, and that's up there, along with an interview that I did with Jimmy at, towards the end of that. It's a few minutes, but it's it's really good. And I was just thinking about that when I was looking through stuff, Stephen, and I, I know we you, your, uh, your note was on Bagwell, but I, I just got to say that just felt really fortunate that I was able to talk to Jimmy uh, before he passed away because his health was, you know, pretty poor the last few years. Uh, he was still really sharp, you know, as far as the interview was concerned. And, you know, you talked to him, he was just sharp as ever. But, you know, he wasn't getting, getting around well. And it was just really good to, to talk to the guy. And, you know, just, I mean, we, we talked about it on that podcast, but, you know, I, I believe wasn't he the first one to room with a, a white ball player in an Astros un, uniform? Yeah, or? he was. And you know, Jimmy Wynn, he was one of my favorite Astros as a kid when I first started following them. And he may have been the first player traded, Robert, that I can remember. And I just remember being so sad. It's like, why do they trade these players anyway? You know, I'm talking, I'm 10, 11 years old. What do I know? Yeah. So I was really sad to see that Jim Wynn got traded uh, when he did in the early seventies, but he was always one of my favorite players. And yeah, he, you know, he, he had some ups and downs as far as his attitude and things like that. But boy, let me tell you, he was definitely an Astros legend. You can't argue with that. And I'm glad you got the chance to talk to him too. Yeah. Check out that conversation that we had uh, about Jimmy Wynn. And of course, you know, like I said, we talked to him and that was really fun and just a few minutes, but it was really interesting what he had to say about, a lot of different things in that short interview that I did with them. And uh, Stephen, before we finish up a couple of things, you looking forward to the Texans draft? I mean, it's just a few days away. I mean, there's all this stuff for months and months and finally it's here for, for the, for the NFL junkies. <laughs> yeah. I'll look forward to it when the Texans go uh, 12 and four and uh, win the AFC South and uh, get past the first round of the playoffs, then I'll look forward to it. But as of now, I mean, honestly, I just can't get very excited about it unless, you know, Unless Nick Asuria makes some blockbuster trade where they get this, you know, star player or something, I, which I just don't see happening. Yeah, it, I'll be honest, Robert. It's 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 neat to see that they have these high draft picks and what they might do with them. But to say that I'm excited, yeah, that, that might be stretching it just a little bit. Well, that's the problem. There isn't a guy that in this draft, I don't think there's a guy in this draft that I've heard about that everybody's like talking about, like, oh my God, if... You get this guy. Usually it's the quarterback. There isn't that quarterback in this no. draft. The other thing, when you look at the Texans in this draft, Casario has already said, he said it in the last week that, hey, you know, we're not likely to do anything with that third pick as far as trades because there's not people out there looking to deal for it. Left open a little bit that second first round pick that they might trade that. And of course, if they trade it, I would assume they're going to trade back, maybe get some more assets. But I mean, Stephen, you, you might not get excited about this draft, but let me tell you, Casario, it might be his biggest draft that he's going to have as the Texans GM because this is one you got to get right. He's got all these picks now. Um, they're picking at the top of the draft with the with the Cleveland pick. As you know, you've got some things there to work with, and so you know this is a big one for him. 
Oh, I absolutely would agree with that, Robert. It is a big draft. You, you can tell, you certainly know that Nick Casario is probably on edge about this draft more than any other because of everything that went down. You know, they finally did the Deshaun trade, and now they've got these high draft choices. And I've even said it myself on the podcast. It's fine to have all these draft picks, but you got to do something with them. You've got to get them right. You know, look, I mean, at how many, look at how many years Miami has had those high draft picks and Cleveland and, you know, the, the Browns have done some things and the Dolphins have made some flashes, but the Texans, yeah, they've got these high draft picks. So what are you going to do with them, Nick Casario? Absolutely. And the focus on the Texans draft right now, but I'm going to leave with leave you with this thought, Stephen, and Shaden Sharp entered the NBA draft this week. It's a big deal. Mm. Big deal for the Rockets because mm-hmm. if you're picking four or five, which is four or five, it's a much better More chance. More than likely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, much better chance than picking one through three. This was the number one player in his high school class. So it deepens that top end of this draft, which benefits the Rockets. And if I'm picking at four or five, Stephen, I don't know if I'm not picking Shaden Sharp. I'm a little bit more hesitant if you're in the top three. But four and five, very possible. It's, I don't know what to expect. They're going to, you're going to wait for the workouts, but I love watching the video on him. It's really amazing stuff. All right. Well, now, you know, I'm going to ask you because you've been a big, big Chet fan. So are you wavering Robert? Are you, are you sinking a little bit? Is it Chet or Shaden Sharp that you're going to go with? I've been leaning towards Jabari in the last few weeks. I've been a Chet defender as in like, maybe, you know, I would probably pick him with the second. Well, I would definitely pick him with the second pick. The first pick, I'm sort of leaning towards Jabari, but I would be okay with either one of those guys. It's kind of the, for me, that's, it's kind of the Mobley Jalen Green thing. I'm kind of okay with either one because I think they're both going to be pretty good. But yeah, the, 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 the Paulo thing, uh, that concerns me. And, and, and I might actually, that's another thing that I really have to seriously think about if I would pick Paulo if they pick three, let me get to, let's just get there. Let's figure out where they're going to be. We're going to find that out in the not too distant future. It's only three weeks away. Um, but Hey, it, it was great to have you back on after a couple of weeks and talking Astros. Finally, finally. Yeah, Astros. man. You know, as you know, Robert, baseball is my sport and I love talking about the Astros and baseball in general. So yep. It's always good to be back on with you. And you know, this YouTube thing, I mean, Hey, I, I can get used to it. I, I think it's great that you're doing that. And all those playlists you have up there, everyone be sure and check those out as well as our uh, continuing ongoing podcasts. You look good for your age too. Uh, yeah. People people need to <laughs> give you a little respect for that. I mean, well, you haven't told them how old I am, Robert. So <laughs> I'm not sure if everybody believes you or not. Well, he's 87. So it's hard. Yeah. To believe. Yeah. That's definitely hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> Say a prayer of thanks for Shaden Sharp, everybody. And until next time, enjoy this Texans draft and let's get some Astros W's. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Oh, that's not